Here at Highgrove, we love to worship, and uh, this morning we're we're going to be uh, turning our attention to think a little bit about worship and pursuing the the presence of God. And we we love here at Highgrove, um, we're part of the Woodlands Church family, and it's an absolute delight today to have Rob uh, with us. Rob Rob and Pam are founders of the Woodlands Church family, and uh, we love it when Rob comes to share with us. I'm just going to invite Rob to come up right now, actually, and uh, and share with us from the Bible uh, before we spend a little bit more time uh, worshipping this morning. So, uh, Lord, I thank you for Rob. Thank you for Pam. Thank you, Lord, for the way in which they've been such a blessing uh, to this church and to our sister congregations over so many years. And Lord, we say thank you, Lord, so much to them. And I, I, I pray, Lord, this morning that you bless Rob as he speaks to us. But Lord, we want our ears to be open to hear the message that you have to bring to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ed. It's a joy to be with you and uh, see a few new faces as well. And it's always special to be here at uh, Highgrove. And uh, we're continuing our series. Well, sorry. We're taking a break in the series. We just finished slowing down for Jesus, and uh, today is a special about worship. And uh, particularly, our title is Pursuing His Presence in Worship. Now, earlier this year, I shared a kind of prophetic word that I felt God stirred in my heart for us as church, and indeed in a wider sense as well, and that was just those three words, pursuing His presence. What does it mean to pursue God's presence? Is God's presence just something that happens to us when we come to church and then when we leave, it is gone? Or can we actually pursue his presence? Can we actively engage with God's presence? And there's those wonderful words of scripture that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we actually can engage God's presence. We can, we can draw, as it were, into that sense of God's presence. So uh, I, I shared a little of that earlier in the year, particularly taking those three ways that pursuing his presence is about pursuing the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life that for those early disciples in that upper room, terrified of the future, locked doors, they felt furthest from God's presence, having seen Jesus crucified, and then uh, somehow it felt it all was over. And then suddenly that mighty rushing wind and those tongues of fire, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they sense the presence of God in a new and powerful way. What does it mean for us in our lives to know the fullness of the Spirit? And secondly was fullness of joy. The scripture says in Psalms, in his presence is fullness of joy. There's no more real sense of joy in life than when we really sense the presence of God with us. And then thirdly, pursuing his presence was pursuing his purposes for our life. We looked at the passage in, in Exodus where Moses, he's so nervous about leading the people of God 40 years in a desert. How is he going to do it? Lord, show me. Who are you going to send with me? And God says, my presence will go with you. And it was God's presence that was the key to that direction. And so we're going to build on that today. Particularly, we want to think about how pursuing God's presence in worship, what does that mean? See, worship is so key to the life of the church and to our own lives. And uh, we're just going to start with a passage of scripture from the Acts of the Apostles and chapter 13. This is quite a key strategic time in the early church. The birth of the church we've just spoken of at Pentecost when the Spirit was, came upon them. But now it's going to be the first missionary journey where God is going to send out to different parts of the world his servants. And ha, 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 it's all new. We, we're familiar with folk going as missionaries, but this was just the beginning of it. How, how was God to do that? Well, this is how it happens. While they were worshipping, notice that, it was while they were worshipping. Wasn't they at a special church meeting to decide what their strategy was? It was while they were worshipping. While they were worshipping, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Worship is key to God's unfolding purposes in our life. Worship has always been key right the way through the Bible for the people of God. It's helped for us to understand how in worship do we pursue his presence. And indeed, how that pursuing his presence is key to worship. Worship is an experience in which it's a, an ever-deepening experience of the presence of God, drawing near to him. And the nearer we draw, the deeper the worship is. See, so for the, in the Old Testament, you find this unfolded like a bit of a journey, really, where you're, you're just going deeper with God and his presence. So in the Old Testament, God often uses um, kind of pictures and images and uh, kind of a bit of drama almost. So in the Old Testament, the center of worship had become the temple. And around the temple, there was a, a court, a big courtyard, as it were. And uh, there was a gate to the courtyard. Then you came into the court. Then you came to the temple. And it was like as if in worship, you were taking stepping stones. So this is what it says in Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Enter his courts with praise. Then the psalm just earlier says that to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So for a person in the Old Testament coming to church on Sunday morning, as it were, or the equivalent of it, to the temple, it was like this. They first of all get through the front gate, that's the garden gate, uh, as it were, uh, way there. Uh, and then they come through the new foyer into the courts. Uh, and for the priest who was leading worship, he would then go into the temple itself and eventually into the holy place, the holy of holies. This was where the presence of God was most powerfully experienced. There were no windows in it, uh, no artificial light. You didn't go in and switch a light on. Well, if there's no windows, it's pitched up. But what happened was the Shekinah glory, the presence of God filled it. So this was a, a kind of incremental experience of going deeper into the presence of God. What would it mean for us today? We come to worship. But how, how, how do we enter? Do we, do we come to the gateway? Keith in, thanksgiving in your heart. Gratitude is the key attitude that leads us into worship. What we come thankful for, or we come with our complaints or our needs or what we haven't had, or, what we want, or are we just grateful to God? Now, thanksgiving is a first step in worship. But then, as we come into his courts or into church, what is it then to sense a spirit of praise where we worship God? And eventually, that real sense of intimacy is closeness. Let me illustrate a bit like this. Um, Suppose it's your birthday and you've got a really good friend and uh, they, they send you a, a birthday card, but it's such a special birthday card. It's one of those homemade ones where you spend hours making it. It really is a, a, an art and a craft. And, and when you get it, you're really thankful. You say to the person who's your dear friend, thanks so much for that lovely card. Now, that's the first step. That's saying thank you for something you've got, you've been given. But then as you look at the card and realize just how carefully you've done it, you say to them, actually... You begin to sing their praise where you say, wow, you're an amazing card maker. So I'm not just grateful for what they give me, but I'm sensing something about them that I'm, something that they've done that is really special. But then it's even more, even this expression of kindness and the card, etc. You, you actually say to them, actually, you know, you're such a wonderful friend. You're so special to me. Now that is an ever deepening expression of appreciation. We start for saying thank you, you got. Well, we always say thank you. Somebody gives us something, then you, you're thankful. But it's more than just thank for what you, you've been given, but actually appreciating the person and praising them. They're an amazing card maker. But it's not just because they've given you a card and it's a great card and a great... You actually sense uh, you're a wonderful person. You're my closest friend. 
Worship is that experience where God is taking us step by step into a deeper reality of his presence. And in the Old Testament, that was the experience. They, they, came, they came to the gates with thanksgiving. They entered the courts with praise. And then they worshipped him in the splendor of holiness. And this glimpse of a splendor of holiness, what it is. To, so there are so many examples, even when you come to New Testament, of where Jesus meets with people and they start off just thankful because he'd done something. He's either healed them or given them something. And, and even some folk who've lived really checkered lives. There was this woman in Samaria. She'd, had, she'd already lived with four men. The man she's now with isn't her husband and she'd live in a really checkered life. And, but Jesus knew everything about it. It wasn't as if he didn't know and sort of was naive. He knew everything about it, but he still reached out to her. Before long, he offers her at that well, living water. And she's almost eventually wants living water because she wouldn't have to keep coming here to draw. She still thinks it's water. She's a thankful gift. But before long, Jesus begins to unfold about her life. And he's a prophet. And then by the end of it, there's a real sense. She's off to a village saying, come find a person who's shown me everything about me and still loves me. It was that sense of where Jesus then says to us, you know, the Father is seeking. He's saying this to a woman who's just met them. Ultimately, he's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. What is it, it somehow, even our encounters with Jesus, to, to sense where it leads us into that place of worship? That passage, the one in the well, is, is found in John's Gospel, chapter 4. It's a remarkable section. So over this this, this year, in so many uh, uh, situations, I've had some amazing opportunities, just one-to-one -one with people. I think I shared with you last time I was with you, just on, on Christmas Day with our, our granddaughter and her friend from Denmark. Just, uh, and to tell you that story, I think I told you eventually, you know, he'd never been to church before. It was all completely new to him. never ever prayed in his life. But he was interested in exploring the Bible. And so I said, why don't we just go through John's Gospel together? And we did over those weeks. And during that time, it was wonderful to see him come to faith in Jesus. And then he wanted to know what's the next book of the Bible. Is the Acts? We did that, and now he's been asking about baptism. But you know, almost every week since then, the next week on uh, New Year's Day, I was welcoming folk at Woody's. I think I told you the story of that young fellow came in. He's a postgraduate, mass engineering at Bristol, and uh, first time ever to church. First time ever. And I sat at the back and just short talked with him. We still had some of the Christmas invitations in the church and gave him a, a why Jesus and that. And But then at the end of the service, there was a communion going on and I suddenly felt goodness this is gonna be so strange to him he was sat at the back he'd never been to church before and suddenly people getting up and eating something and drinking something and, he, and he's mystified by it all and so I went and sat by him and said oh do you understand he said no I have no idea what's, what's happening uh, and so I explained to him what it meant the bread and the cup and the cross of Jesus he said but why is why is that so important you I said, because it's the very heart of the Christian faith. And before long, I took the little white Jesus out of the little pack he'd had and we went through it together. And he became a Christian. That literally, in fact, by the end of the service, I'd gone and got some bread and wine and, and we shared it together at, at, at church. First time ever in his life. But it was that new life in Jesus. And so it's been like that throughout this year with loads and loads. So just a few weeks ago, my, my neighbor says to me, uh, she's from Poland, a young, young lady and uh, uh, always brought up a Catholic. She says, oh, Rob, she says, uh, you go to church, don't you? I said, I do sometimes, yeah. And, and, and uh, she said, uh, 
you know, I, I'm a Catholic. She said, I've always gone to church all my life, she said. Uh, I always go, but about a year ago, I stopped going because it just seemed very traditional and somehow I wasn't getting anything out of it, she said. And uh, she said, tell me a bit more about why you go. So I had an amazing conversation with her and I said, have you ever really read the Bible? She said, well, we have the Bible. She said, yeah, but I, I don't really know it that well. I said, well, would you like to, to look at it together? So, so what I normally do for many of these, even like for my granddaughter now, I'll do it on a WhatsApp video call you know, because she's up in the north of England, etc. But this is my neighbour just next door. I'm still doing a WhatsApp video, and 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 so we 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 we. Uh, uh, I said to her, "Just can you can you read the first three chapters of God's Gospel?" So she did, and and the next week she read this very passage about the woman at the well, John chapter four, and she's fascinated by it. somebody with such a checkered life, and yet Jesus so interested in him, and and how that Jesus was not interested just in the religious ritual, whether it was at Jerusalem or at this mountain, but what God was really looking for was people who worship in spirit and truth. This week, I was on my next one, we're in chapter 12 now, uh, of, and uh, it was just that story of a woman who comes to Jesus with a a jar of ointment that was really expensive. Normally people often, because instead of saving for your funeral, you'd save for your ointment for when you were embalmed, as it were, uh, when you died. So, so folk would send, spend all their life saving, their savings. And she took a life savings, as it were, and she just broke the jar and anointed Jesus' feet. And then she wiped the feet with his hair. And this, this young lady said, but why would she do that? Why, why would she wipe with her hair? And I said, well, it's because she'd come to love Jesus. And wanted to worship him. Worship is where we, we, we just give ourselves that, that unabandoned sense in which we just want to worship him. Listen to this passage in the Old Testament where it speaks about worshiping the splendor of holiness in the Psalms. And here is an actual example of it. This is what it looks like to worship God in the splendor of holiness. This is taken from Isaiah and chapter 6. So hold on to your seat. And this is just a description of, of entering bit by bit and then sensing the presence of God and the splendor of his holiness. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1 reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost, the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew with me, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my lips and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Here's this glimpse of worship where it's the splendor of holiness. Holy, holy, holy. That glimpse of God's glory. 
And one of the things that happens for Isaiah is he gets this glimpse of God's glory and worship. There's a kind of deep, humbling experience where he feels his own unworthiness, his own weakness, his own frailty, his own failure. I'm just a person of unclean lips and the things I say and think and do and I just live among a people who have unclean lips. And sometimes in worship when we're close to God, one of the things is we will feel humbled. We will be aware of our own weakness. But at the heart of worship is an experience of forgiveness. What happens is he takes this live coal off the altar, touches his lips, and he says this, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. See, the cross of Jesus is at the heart of worship. Because in worship, when we see the glory of God, we're only too well aware of our own weakness, our own frailty, and, and therefore the need for cleansing and forgiveness. But that's what the cross of Jesus is all about. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And therefore, in worship, is as we appreciate that central place of the cross of Jesus. It makes all the difference to our lives. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that the next thing that happens is, having touched his lips, he hears a voice saying, who shall we send? Who will go for us? And he says, here am I, send me. Again, it reflects what we read in Acts, wasn't it? In Acts, that first reading was, they were worshipping together, as they worshipped together, the Lord spoke to them, set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas, and God is sending them out. There's something about worship that the closer we are to the heart of God, the clearer we hear the voice of God. The more we're drawn into the presence of God, the stronger the call to reach out to a world around us with that good news of Jesus. No matter how checkered our life is. You know, just this week, um, Pam has a, a relative, in fact, her, her dear cousin who... When we first planted out from Highgrove here for what became Community Church, we planted into Henley School when we first did it because we had a group of folk there. And, uh, and Pam's cousin came to that. In fact, Carrie is here today, so she was very closely part of all that. And, uh, um, and uh, she came to that, and uh, uh, she was struggling at the time because her grandson was going through such a terrible time. He'd become a drug addict. We talk about a really heavy drug addict. We did everything to try and help him. We even sent him, and it actually took him, not sent him, we took him up to Birmingham to Bethel to a rehab place. He only managed three days in there and then ran away, as it were, and nothing seemed possible. We tried everything with him, and he ended up on the streets, homeless, and then in prison, and even in prison was still so rebellious. But then one day, his eyes saw the king. It was another drug addict, in fact, who had come to know Jesus. And so dramatic was the change in his life that when he shared with Luke his story, something happened in Luke that I never, you could have never imagined. It completely turned around. I mean, humanly speaking, probation officers and social workers and all you said, it's impossible, you never change him. But it did. Friday, this Friday, he texts me, Rob, just pray for me. I'm on my way down to, to Broadmead, as it were in the open air, just to be able to share my faith with some of the addicts and folk that are down there. And, and you see, it's not just that his eyes have seen the king and experienced that, but he, the first thing he sent is that heart to want to go out and share that good news of Jesus. There's something about pursuing his presence in worship. The very journey of worship is an ever-increasing stepping stone closer into the presence of God. But it's not as if that leads us then removed from the world. The closer we are to the heart of God, the clearer we hear the voice of God. That call to the world around us, who shall I go? Who will I send who will go for us? What does it mean in worship, even for us this morning? Whatever this week may be, say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, help us this week 
to draw closer, Lord, to pursue your presence in worship. Give us a thankful heart, Lord. Stir a spirit of praise, but Lord, take us on into that place where we worship you in the splendor of holiness. To hear your voice, Lord. To be humble, to realize it's only because of your grace that our guilt is taken away, our sin is atoned for. And we hear you say, who will I send, who will go for us? Lord, help us this week to draw near to you and be willing to share that good news to a world around. In Jesus' name, amen.